0: Welcome back to Second Look. This is episode three of a four-part series called Everyone Within My Reach, From Strangers to Neighbors to Family. On today's episode, Todd Erickson will teach on building gospel-centered community amidst various cultural, socioeconomic, and religious
1: differences that we encounter. Kathy Russell and Gay Carter will share
0: about their relationship and connecting with others with backgrounds that differ from our own. Go ahead and grab your seats, and I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have not uh, been with us over the last couple of weeks, we've been working through a series that we call Everyone Within My Reach, Going From Stranger to Neighbor, to friends and Barton, the last couple of weeks has taken some time to walk us through uh, some places in Scripture, talking about what it means to know our neighbor, and then also taking us through a place of uh, a place in Scripture to look at. What does it mean uh, to walk with my neighbor? And after each time, we have uh, testimony and and discussion from our own members of our congregation. And today we're going to be able to hear from two of my favorite people. And I'm excited about that. So I want to get to that part. But I want to set us up with uh, some scripture here. Because today we're going to be talking about hearing my neighbor. Or how do I cultivate gospel community when we are so different? And more and more now we're experiencing that, aren't we? As we as we uh, move through culture in our lives right now, whether it's social media or even in the workplace, the, um, the diversity of beliefs and expressions uh, continues uh, to grow. And there continues to be a, a growing tension around that. And so how in the world am I looking at my city, maybe even my neighborhood? I have, I have a very diverse group of people that live uh, on our cove, 10 families. And in those 10 families, there's four different ethnicities and a lot of different beliefs just on my cove. So how do I, how do I develop gospel community um, when the people that I'm trying to connect with believe something very differently than I do? Or maybe even even conduct their lives or have a lifestyle that is very different than mine. Or just have a culture that is very, very different than mine. How do I develop gospel community like that? Uh, I want to begin by telling you a story that um, has meant a lot to me in recent months. uh, Only because I've been thinking about it in context of gospel community and being a neighbor to the people uh, in my neighborhood. My, uh, some of you knew, heard this before, uh, heard me tell this before that in, uh, uh, last, I guess, October, I had the opportunity to go back up to Rockford, Illinois, where my parents grew up. And I realized when I was up there, like, wow, we really are very, very Swedish. Like I have an ethnicity and it's, it's thick, um, and I guess I just didn't think about that. A lot of times we just don't think about ourselves having a culture. And I'm like, oh, my family has a culture. So we're up in Rockford, Illinois um, with my dad and my brother. And my dad's telling us different things about growing up there. Rockford, Illinois, it's north of Chicago, north, north side of Illinois, pretty large city, has the Rock River that runs through the middle of it. And when my father was growing up there, my mom and dad were growing up there, the east side of the city was all Swedish. I mean, it was like the, the, the Scandinavian names are just, are just rich in that area. I mean, you go to this, the cemetery where we were uh, burying my mom, and the names in the cemetery, would, you think it's a joke. Like all the tombstones, there's more versions of sun and home than you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, and you're thinking, man, are they just making up names to make them Swedish? And then on the other side of the Rock River, it is all Italian. In fact, there's a Scandinavian cemetery on the east side of Rockford. And it's called, it's just called the Scandinavian cemetery. On the west side of Rockford, there is the Italian cemetery. It's just called that, like straight up. And, and my dad said that they never went to the west side of the city, ever. He said, businessmen might travel back and forth across the Rock River, but you never went to the west side of the city, and people from the west side of the city never came to the east side of the city. I mean, it really was something like something out of some kind of movie, you know, from the 50s. I'm like, no, this is real. Like, you guys just didn't interact. He's like, we did not interact. And then he jokingly said this. He said, uh, we used to say that the, uh, the, the State Street Bridge over the Rock River, which is the main the, the main street of Rockville, Illinois, the State Street Bridge is the longest bridge in the world. And he said, because you can travel from Sweden to Italy on it. <laughs> Y'all, I stood at the Rock Street Bridge, excuse me, State Street Bridge over the Rock River. Y'all, it's only 500 feet long, <laughs> That's only a football field and a half. We're not talking like they're talking about a bridge, even like the Memphis Bridge. At least that bridge looks long. This bridge isn't long at all. It's 500 feet. And my dad said, we would never go over it. We would never go to the other side. I've been thinking over and over again that in order for me to hear my neighbor, in order for me to really develop a gospel community with people that are not like me, I got to figure out, you and I have to figure out how we're going to get across that bridge. Because we got to move across that bridge. What's it going to take for us to go from a familiarity and everybody that we know and everybody that, that makes sense and culture and food and everything that exists on the east side of Rockford. How are we going to go into a place where they talk differently, they think differently, they believe differently, their, their, their religion is different How do we do that? How do we get across that bridge? Well, it's going to start with this. It's going to start with humility and gratefulness. It's interesting, George and I did not sync up our our sermons and talk this week. It just worked out that way. He said, Jonah lacked humility and gratefulness for what God had done in his life. And I'm telling you all, for us to move towards people that are not like us, it has to start with uh, humility and with gratefulness. Remember that story? Not a story, actually actual events in Acts chapter 10 when uh, Peter, who is trying to be a good Jew, he's not going to associate with Gentiles. Christ has come into his life, but he's still not going to associate with Gentiles because it's just not the right thing to do. That's not how he's brought up. He's not going to eat their food. He's not going to be, he can't go into their homes. He can't sit down with them. And so we read in Acts chapter 10 that God, uh, Peter goes up on the roof to take a nap, God causes uh, him to fall into a deep sleep and have this vision. And in this vision, there is this this, um, uh, like giant tablecloth opened up with all these foods that were unclean for Peter to eat. And And the word came from God, take and eat these. And Peter responded, no, I would never do that. I would never defile myself. I would never go there. And three times this took place. And then Peter wakes up. And there at the door are these two messengers from this centurion named Cornelius, a Gentile, who were told by God, uh, Cornelius said, God told Cornelius, send these messengers, get Peter, tell him to come t- to your house. So Peter answers the door. He says, hey, you're supposed to come with us to go to Cornelius houses. And Peter realizes, OK, God is telling me something. God is telling me I need to go into this man's house. God is telling me I need to sit down and eat this man's food. God is telling me I need to be in fellowship with them at their table. And so Peter obediently goes and sits down. The gospel comes to Cornelius' house and to all the Gentiles. Here's the problem for us, folks. I think when we hear that story, most of us have a tendency like me to think, oh, yes, I'm Peter. I need to go to them. Well, let me tell all of us here. Let's, let's get it correct. None of us are Peter in that story unless you happen to have actual Israeli heritage. All of us are the Corneliuses in that story. All of us. Unless you have Israeli heritage, <laughs> somewhere along the lines of your family's uh, uh, generations, somebody, somebody crossed a cultural bridge to bring the gospel to your family. Somebody went from a place that was familiar to them culturally, language, food, whatever it was, and crossed a bridge, crossed that gap to come bring the gospel to your family. Now, it could be that you know that this happened, maybe it happened in your lifetime, or maybe it's generations back. I looked it up, again, being Swedish, I'm like, who was the first missionary to to Sweden? Who was the guy that brought the gospel uh, to my great, 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 great grandparents? Well, in 800 AD, this guy, this Benedictine monk who grew up in France, decided to, to, to cross the North Sea. His name was Ansgar, to cross the North Sea to bring the gospel uh, to, to my ancestors. He, he made a bridge. He went over the gap to get there. And we've got to do that, brothers and sisters, because Christ left heaven to come to us. And out of humility and gratefulness, we have this amazing opportunity to do that with people who are very different from us. So let's take a couple minutes here, a few minutes here and unpack that. In looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23, but just to make sure we have the context of this, Paul, in writing to this Corinthian church that he's been with for a very, very long time, that has a lot of struggles because they're trying to put together a lot of different kinds of people, Paul is defending, defending himself, just saying, hey, listen, I just want you to know the rights I do have as an apostle, the, the rights that I do have as a leader in the church. I want you to understand I have those rights from the Lord. It's okay for me to feel this way because I'm a leader in the church. And then he says this, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, beginning at verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not my being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Friends, this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God. Let me pray quickly. Father, as we sit under your word and hear testimony of your people this morning, would you please speak to our hearts in the place that, that, that you need to? Lord, you know each of us where we might struggle with these things as we think about what it means to truly hear our neighbor, to really build community with people who are very much unlike us. Lord, thank you that there were people in our past that cross that cultural gap to bring the gospel to us. Now teach us, Lord, what that means for us in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to see three things here in this passage, and the first is in verse 19. I want you to see the three things that it takes for us to build gospel community with people who are not like us, to really hear our neighbor, to really hear them. The first thing it takes in verse 19 is surrender. We've got to be able to surrender. Paul says there, hey, I have these rights as an apostle. I have these rights as a leader in the church. Like I've, I've, earned, I've earned my place. And then he says, but I'm going to give them up. I'm going to give them all up. I'm willing to do anything, <laughs> anything that is not against the Lord and against his word. I'm willing to do all of it in order that I might reach those who are not like me, in order that I may cross that bridge. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And he makes it clear that there, it, he says it earlier in the passage, but he says that here's, he doesn't want any obstacle for the gospel, no obstacle at all for the gospel. So whatever it takes, he's going to do that. As one pastor put it, and I love this, Paul was willing to modify his habits, adjust his lifestyle and set aside his preferences in order to bring the gospel to whomever. Paul was willing to modify his habits, adjust his lifestyle, and set aside his preferences. And of course, the question comes to us, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to modify our habits? Are we willing to set aside our preferences? And are we willing to adjust our lifestyles in order to build gospel community in this city, in all of our neighborhoods, with people that may have very contrary beliefs to what you and I believe. And even lifestyles, even the way that they live, even the people whom they choose to marry. Are we willing to cross that bridge in order that they might know this amazing gospel? It was so encouraging. I, I, I wasn't here the last couple of weeks, but I had the opportunity to hear the recordings of both messages and the testimonies. And I know that uh, Rob and his team is gonna are gonna put that on the website when it kind of gets all edited and finished. So if you weren't here the last couple of weeks or either one of them, please, when it gets posted, please listen to it. But listening to Julia and Shang share uh, separate weeks on how they have chosen uh, to adjust their lifestyles And to set aside their preferences in order to to be a neighbor, in order to care for the people around them within their reach was so encouraging. It's exactly what Paul is saying here that he wants to do. So what about us? Are we willing to surrender the stuff we like, the way we like it, in order to to go across that bridge? That's the only way we're going to do it. Surrender. Second thing it's going to take You see in verses 20 through 22, it's going to take empathy. It's going to take true empathy for the people around us. I like this definition of empathy. It's the capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another's position. Let me say it again. The capacity to understand or feel what another person is experiencing from within their frame of reference. That is the capacity to place oneself in another's position. Let me say this. Empathy. You can empathize with someone. Empathy doesn't mean you're in agreement or you're affirming their lives or their beliefs. You can empathize with someone who has a very different lifestyle than you. You can, you can put yourself and go, gosh, if, you know, if, if, I, if I grew up like they grew up and, and I, I had the experiences they, ha- they had, let me think through that. Let me think from their perspective what it would feel like. That doesn't mean you're agreeing with them. So it's okay. I think sometimes around in, in our culture we think, oh, if I'm really compassionate towards a person or if I'm really uh, going to uh, empathize with someone, then that means I'm, they're going to think I'm agreeing with them. Or I am agreeing with them. I can't show that. I got to. I got to. I got to create this distance. I just don't think that's in Scripture. I don't think that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying I'm going to do whatever I can uh, to to understand them. But Paul's clearly saying I'm not. I'm not affirming to the Jew. I'm not affirming. Hey, it's okay to or the people who are under the law. He says I'm not. I'm going to. Be like one of the law. I'm going to have their perspective, though I am not under the law. Like, he's not going to compromise his faith in order to make this, this jump. He's going to be authentically who he is. At the same time, he's going to understand and know, hey, I know what it's like to be someone who's under the law. And so I can, I can, I can start where they are. This is about understanding and a starting point in people's lives. Empathy also involves deep, deep compassion. Deep compassion. Remember when Jesus saw all the, the, he came over the hill, saw all of Jerusalem and he said he was filled with compassion. He wasn't filled with anger. He wasn't filled with, oh, these people, they're kind of, they're weird. They're not like, they're sinful. I don't want to get, I don't want to get infected by them. I don't want them to, you know, change my beliefs. He looked at them and he had compassion on them. He said, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes I, 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 I'm, I'm deeply saddened by the fact that, that many times the stance of the church in America towards those, uh, who are, uh, not like us or those who have different beliefs than us or di- alternate lifestyles on, is this attitude that, oh my gosh, we can't get too close there. We can't get, to, cause they're gonna infect us. And we, we just have this attitude of fear. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to fear. The Lord's got you. The Lord's got you. You don't have to fear crossing over the bridge that you're going to all of a sudden become Italian. (laughs) But you know what? What Paul's saying is like, hey, I'm going to become Italian in every way that isn't sin. (laughs) And our missionaries do this so well, right? We see it all the time. It would be so odd if our missionaries, you know, if, if, if Dan and Catherine had gone to Kazakhstan and, and they had insisted on remaining Houstonites, you know, like just wear all their Houston clothing, Houston, Texas clothing, and they only, you know, they're only going to eat this kind of food. And they're, you know, they're just, they just remained, they didn't learn the language because they you and know, I said, you know, we would have been like, wow, they're not very good missionaries. The same thing applies for us in our neighborhoods. <laughs> For us to look and go, hey, how can I become, as what Paul's saying, I want to become like them in any way that's not sin. It involves deep compassion. This is really important for us right now these days, brothers and sisters. Because as researchers, starting back in a study that was done in 2014 at Princeton uh, University. And has now been talked about in the, the New York Times and other places. Um, there exists in this country this growing problem called, that they call motive attribution asymmetry. It's something that they have seen for years between Israeli and Palestinians. And now they're seen in the United States in dramatic ways. Motive attribution, attribution asymmetry is simplified like this. If what you're doing and what you believe is coming from a place of love, which you believe it is. you know, So whatever your belief is, like, I'm coming from a place of love. That's why I believe this. That's why I'm doing this. If you meet someone who has an opposite view, an opposite uh, uh, way of looking at it, an opposite way of of living it out, and it's contrary to you, then you conclude, you make this jump from not just that they believe differently than me, but that because I'm coming from a place of love and believing this, they must be coming from a place of hate and believing that. And the same thing's happening over here. They think they're coming from a place of love. And so they assume, well, you don't think what I think, so therefore you must be coming from a place of hate. I think we're seeing this right now played out in the whole issue of, of uh, abortion and pro-life. I think part of the, one of the key problems in what's going on all around in our culture is motive attribution asymmetry where instead of us trying to figure out, okay, why does this person who believes so differently than me think that I am I'm actually hurting or against or trying to control women because I believe in pro-life? Why, why are they so upset? I need, to, I, I need to understand the why. And I'm not going to start with what they're doing must come from a place of hate because I know it doesn't. They think it comes from a place of love. So we, as followers of Jesus, have got to figure out how do we do that? How do we move into those spaces and understand people? Have empathy. Empathy doesn't require you to agree, but it does require you to understand. In order to do that, we're going to have to re- we're going to have to read more than we read on these things. We're going to have to listen more. We're going to have to be in conversation and just ask questions. We need to ask a lot more questions. We need to study these things a lot more. Um, I know we've already given you Zaria Butterfield's book, but man, listen, anything you can get a hold of by Rebecca McLaughlin is going to strengthen your ability to build real relationships with uh, people who you need to go across the bridge uh, to pursue. People that think, have beliefs very differently than you. So her her book on confronting Christianity, her most recent book, The Secular Creed, Rebecca McLaughlin gives us a great roadmap for how to have empathy for people who think very differently than us. For us to, to the Jew become a Jew, to the Greek, without ever compromising our faith. And then finally, Surrender, empathy, and then finally in verse 23, what does it take for us uh, to to cross that bridge? How are we going to do that? Third thing is this, verse 23, it's desire, and this is the best part, it's a desire for blessing in your own life. So you and I need to surrender, you and I need to have empathy, and then you and I need to desire blessing for our own lives. Look what it says there in verse 23. It says, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I thought to myself, is that right? So I checked it in the Greek. I, I looked over at some other translations and, and I'm like, I need to know, is that what it's saying? Not just that I may share with them in its blessings. And yes, literally the, the ESV has gotten this right. Paul is saying, I do this for the sake of the gospel. Because I want to share with these people who are not like me, I want us to be together in this blessing. I want to enjoy this blessing with them. I'm going to be blessed when I see the gospel take root in their lives. And Paul's saying, "I want that." He's, in fact, he says it all the way through. It he uses the word "win," like I don't know how many times. I want that they, they might win. I might win them. I might win some. I do everything. My motivation is all for the sake of the gospel and all because I want that blessing. Brothers and sisters, when you and I take that risk to go across that bridge and to build real relationships in places that are kind of scare us sometimes, freak us out a little bit. And when we see the Holy Spirit work through us and, 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 and gospel community begins to take root among people that you'd never thought would be together, you and I share in a blessing that that's hard to describe. It's what Seth said last, uh, I guess, the first week. He said, listen, I read in Revelation seven and I look what it's like going to be like it when we worship at the throne of heaven. And he said, and I want for my children an experience here on earth that looks more and more like that. Like I want, I want, I, I want, <laughs> I, want a, I want a little more of that blessing that we're going to have at the end. I want it now. Where we're seeing God overcome all of that. Surrender, empathy, a desire for blessing. Now, you're going to get to hear two of my favorite people in this whole church talk a little bit about what it means to cross some boundaries. Uh, so if you three would come on up and uh, share with us.
1: So let's get us started. Um, Gay will let you start by introducing yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and um, then pass it over to Kathy.
2: My name is Gay Carter. I came to know the Lord 52 years ago and was so blessed to be around a Christian organization that emphasized the word, prayer, and discipleship. So that has been the love of my life for 52 years. Uh, I came to Second 40 years ago and loved Second, have loved Memphis, From the time I got here, I moved from North Carolina. Uh, I I really think that most of my growth has come from this church, the teaching and uh, the people in this church, and just feel like this is my family, and I've really loved it and still do. Um, I'm Kathy Russell,
3: and uh, you'll tell by my voice I am not a Southerner. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, I'm from upstate New York. I grew up in a Baptist home and with people of color at my generation, you went to church. Um, And it was later that I became a real Christian. Um, But I grew up with a vision of my mother. I would see her often in the morning reading her Bible. When I would get up in the morning, I'd go into the living room. My mother would be sitting there reading her Bible. When I became a Christian... You go on this campaign of, I'm going to save the world. And she said, who do you think brought you into the kingdom? Um, so that put our relationship on a different level. Um, I worked for Eastman Kodak Company. They moved me to Pittsburgh, where I met Tim. Um, and I thought I was going to be in Rochester forever. I thought I was going to be in Pittsburgh forever. Um, and then Tim surprised me one day by saying, let's move to Memphis. And I'm thinking, excuse me. I'm a northerner. Um, I've gone as far south as I think I'm going. uh, And a half hour later, I said, let's do it. Um, We moved here in 2004. I've been a member of this church since 2005. Um, Tim came here to be president of the Memphis Center for Urban Theological Studies and assumed several other positions. He was on staff here. Um, And I just really have through him, by him, with him, learn to love and serve the Lord greatly, Um, and just have such a passion for you knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. Um, I guess that's it for me.
1: Okay, thank you. So Gay, will you tell us the story, because it's a great story,
2: of how the two of you became friends? We really can't remember exactly how we became friends. But I remember I was out in the parking lot and uh it was after after church and Kathy was there too and at that point I was doing uh the gospel transformation material and I was so excited about it and Kathy said, "Gay, introduce yourself." and said, "Gay, would you? could we have Bible study together? And I said, sure. And I sort of t- told her what we were doing. And uh, so we met one-on-one for, oh, I guess, three or four months. But as we met, we just became really good friends. We started going out to dinner. And when Tim was, we'd, so I'd sort of pray that Tim would have meetings so we could go out to dinner. <laughs> And then we'd say, well, we'll go to Steinmart for dessert. <laughs> so we just had a, We had a wonderful time. And it really was such a, a blessing to get to know Kathy. One of the things that I've always loved is to work, to work with people that really are intent on their relationship with the Lord. So Kathy, tell us a little bit about
1: what it was about Gay that led you just to walk up to her and ask her to study the scriptures with you.
3: Well, in Titus, and there are several chapters, but especially in Titus, it talks about um, the older should teach the younger. And Gay had already been, pointed out to me as a very strong um, teacher, instructor uh, of the Bible. And I just, and of course, you know, it was the Lord doing it, wanting to go and and spend time with her and grow, um, kind of like discipleship. And the things were obvious. I mean, here is a white Southern woman with a black Northern woman, and I am conservative, not as conservative as she is. And we would, and we still do, but heads. But because she loves the Lord so passionately, I wanted that passion. I wanted to know the secrets. I wanted to know everything I could possibly glean from her. And it was just, I know it was the Lord doing it, but it was just learning from her and growing with her. And not only did we study together, we also developed this friendship. Um, I can't imagine my life without her. Mm. And she has walked through me through many things, good times and bad times. And I've walked with her through good times and bad times. And one of her, she listens. And one thing I've learned to do and that we all need to do is you need to listen. When somebody talks to you, you listen to them. The whole thing is to just shut your mouth and listen to what they have to say. And you can always add something later on, but the big thing is to listen, to just be there with people. Um, and Gay was there with me and for me through through many things.
1: Gay, when you first became a Christian, you really felt the call from the Lord to disciple younger women, particularly young career women, women that you felt like you could really yeah. relate to well out of your own life. And although you still feel called to younger career women yes. the lord has really expanded that calling to right. women from many different walks of life so can you share a little bit about how he's done that for you over the past few years
2: that's been a that's been a wonderful journey some of you were here at the time about 15 or 20 years ago david alexander came to second and what he he was a african american pastor in Baltimore, Maryland, and he had a multicultural church. He had written a book. He and his, I don't know what college he went to, but he had a a white roommate, and he started telling stories about the difference, the way he was treated, even in the cafeteria, and the way his white roommate was treated. And his white roommate didn't believe it, so he said, I want you to walk behind me in the cafeteria line he did and of course the roommate was surprised at how different and that really struck me i thought that is awful and i'm as much as kathy is a northern person i'm a southern girl and so i know that i had a lot of prejudices and a lot of misinformation and the main thing the main reason is because i didn't have any friends that were African-American. So I called Larry Jensen. And I, Larry at the time was working with a lot of African-American businessmen in the city. And I said, Larry, do you know any young women that I, I told him the story and told him I wanted to have some African-American friends? He introduced me to a girl named Lynn who was also divorced and I was divorced. She was worked with money. What do they do? biker or whatever and that, that didn't make any difference because we never talked about that much. but anyway we got together and had the best time. We went to each other's house for dinner. we talked about being divorced. I never got into anything with her that was really deep about the differences with with uh, me and her. So after that I I went to Nexus and had an African-American protege and I worked with her for about 4 years. She was just so precious and I helped disciple her. Then I got involved with the, with the refugee empowerment program and met my precious friend Aurelia. And Aurelia and I have been meeting together for about 15 years and she is just adorable. I don't know what I would do without her. And I then I met um Shelley and Shelly and I became friends and she was so open and so sweet. She answered a lot of my questions. Then I met Kathy. And as Kathy said, I can't, I can't imagine life without, I don't even remember life without Kathy. But Kathy and I have been able to talk about things, things that are so different and not necessarily belief system, beliefs in Jesus Christ, but other belief systems and as they said we have butted heads but we always come back because we're both believers and we can ask each other's forgiveness we can we can repent and come back so that has been the biggest blessing and this and then on mission trips i have talked to so many young girls around the world from different countries and i, I even i still hear from two of my friends from china and the people that I've discipled over the years I still hear from. And the thing that that does for me is to show me how big God is. He is not interested in one race, one ethnicity, one, one anything. He is for the whole world, and that just makes you love God even more because you realize how great and glorious he is. Kathy, you also have felt the call to
1: start discipling women. Will you tell us the story about how that came about and then some of the blessings that you've experienced in those discipleship relationships?
3: Um, well, when Tim was alive, I met people through him and because of him. And then I had the great opportunity, fortune, to be at a dear friend's wedding. And as I'm sitting at the table at the reception, I realized I knew absolutely nobody at that table. I had I'm looking around and they look familiar, I did not know them. And I had a conversation with Brett Wynn who offered me. He said we need you to we need people to be re- small group leaders, of which I jumped at the chance and I am so glad that I did. I have a group of women that I meet with and I love every minute of it. Um, I get kind of disappointed if they have a schedule and something comes up and they can't come. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's exciting, it's rewarding. I'm supposed to be teaching them, I'm learning from them also. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a give and take um, setup. up. Um, I also, knowing that there are few women of color in this church, I wanted to have women of color get together and know each other. We need to know each other and ourselves. So it's it's just an opportunity. I'd like to create opportunities for people to get together so they know each other. It's so important and it's intimidating when you look out there and you're looking and you're thinking, oh, my word, I've got to know all, you know, 3,000 people. It's like, no, you don't. You start out knowing the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you, the person sitting in front of you. Um, and if you forget their name, that's okay, they probably forgot your name. So it's, it's kind of like just say, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Except for there's two people in here that I'll never forget. The first day that I came to this church that uh, the McCartys, every Sunday, greeted me and told me their name. Until finally I said to them, I actually do know you. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's so important and so um, welcoming to go up to somebody that you don't know, and maybe they, you know, maybe they go to the eleven o'clock service, which is an entirely different church. Um, <laughs> and you, you treat them like, oh, I don't know who they are. Well, they don't know who you are either. So just take the moment to say good morning. How are you? Just, just speak to a person. It
1: makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Thank you. As we conclude, Gay, okay, we'll get you started. Okay. What's one piece of advice that you would give to? all of us, on how we all may make progress in building that gospel community, particularly in the area of discipleship, which has been our focus this morning, in the midst of the various cultural or socioeconomic or even religious differences that we encounter.
2: I think the biggest thing is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If, you, if your relationship with the Lord is not vibrant, then you really don't have things to share. Discipleship comes from your excess with the Lord. I always feel like quiet time or devotions or whatever you call it is the most important part of our Christian life, really. It's the time with you and the Lord. I feel like it needs to be done in the morning, and I've argued with countless girls I've heard every, uh, thing there is about why you can't get up early. And I always tell them 15 minutes doesn't add much to your sleep. So, but, but I feel like you need to start the day with the Lord. Give Him the day. Hear what He has to say to you. And it just, it just makes so much sense because you focus on Him more during the day if He's the first thing you think about. So I think that's the, key.
1: I agree. Did she take, <laughs> <laughs> she took your answer, didn't she? she
3: did. <laughs> um, it, it, it made a difference because sometimes I think, oh, I haven't, I haven't prayed or I haven't done, and I get into my day and it's a mess. And as soon as something doesn't go correctly, I realize you didn't pray this morning. You didn't do your reading. You didn't do your devotions. Um, I have now made a point. I don't even look at my emails until I have done my morning prayer and done my morning reading. And it makes such a big difference. Um, Something I think that's important for people to know is the difference between mentoring and discipleship. They are not the same thing. When you mentor somebody, that's more like a business or educational type of uh, experience. When you disciple somebody, that's more of a Christian aspect. You walk with somebody. Um, Both of them are time-consuming. And you should not feel overwhelmed by it. Most people, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's like you're developing a relationship with that person. You're developing a friendship with that person. When you disciple somebody, you're taking time and effort to spend time with them. And you want them to know the Lord that you know. And you look at it that way. You're not trying to tell them how to run their life. What you're telling them is how much God loves them. Um, it's, you want to share the word, you want to teach the word and you want to serve the world.
1: Thank you very much. Todd, I'll ask you to come up and pray for these two wonderful women and all of us as we seek to put these things into practice this week.
0: Heavenly father, I thank you so much uh, for our two sisters up here who uh, have demonstrated for us, um, in their lives. And certainly father, we've heard it this morning through their words, Um, Their love for you and their love for the body of Christ. And, Father, how they have received the blessing of sharing uh, uh, in the gospel together, in gospel community together, not just with each other, but with with people all over this church family and all over this city. Lord, we're grateful. We do pray that you take the things that, that you were teaching us this morning and seal them to our hearts. Father, we want to be a people who reflect you we thank you, Father. We are so grateful that you left heaven. You left the comfort of the throne room of heaven, of, the, of that intimacy uh, in the Godhead there uh, at, at the very center of the universe to, to come and put on human flesh, uh, to become like us in every way that was not sin, and to live among us, and to, to eat our food, to, to listen, to empathize with us to teach us and then to give your lives, to surrender everything in obedience to your father, to go to a cross that, that you might purchase us as your family. Father, we are grateful for that. We are humbled by that. And we would pray that you would give us um, both the courage and the strength and father, the desire and joy To go be that to the people that live on our street. That we might truly share with them in the blessing. All for the sake of the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.